Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Good to have you with us. And today, we're taking up the latest developments on that Chinese balloon, the threat, the shoot-down, and the attempted recovery. We'll be talking about national security and political fallout as well. It's resulting for the Biden administration and what looks like real trouble for Pentagon top officials. We'll discuss what looks like a very, very high possibility that White House and Pentagon sources trying to cover up that balloon and their own ineptitude may have kickstarted a constitutional crisis that will dwarf all the clamor around this China balloon incursion over America from sea to shining sea, from the Pacific to the Atlantic. And of course, the Biden classified document scandal won't go away. In fact, it's widening. And our guests today are Congressman Austin Scott on the debt ceiling, the Biden scandal, and former intelligence analyst Russ Tice on the Chinese balloon and Tice's concerns about the Chinese purpose all of that and more coming up in today's episode. Did our military officials violate their constitutional oaths by not informing President Trump of three other instances, they say, of Chinese balloon incursions? And why isn't Biden talking about the China balloon and his document scandal or the massive U.S. debt and the contest over the debt ceiling? Why not? Well, our first guest is Congressman Austin Scott, and he will talk about all of that. He's in his sixth term representing Georgia's 8th District, who is a member of the House Intelligence Committee, has called for a national security damage assessment as a result of the Biden family classified document scandal. Congressman Scott, great to have you with us here on The Great America Show. What do you expect the intelligence assessment will find? Yeah, absolutely, Lou, and uh, thank you for having us. And obviously, uh, we want to find out what he had. We want to find out if, if that information uh, ever got to anybody uh, else. If it got to uh, anybody else, we want to know who it went to. And so uh, we, we've had a situation now where it's very clear that we've got a, a problem with the way the executive branch handles classified information, whether it be uh, Democrat administration or Republican administration. And and we need to get the facts on this. And if there has been information that should not have been disseminated to a party that wants to do damage to the United States, we need to, to make sure we know uh, exactly what it was and, and figure out a way to fill those gaps. You know, I, I, I understand uh, what you're calling for here. I do think that there is a, a trap here when we start looking at as analogous uh, the situation with former Vice President Mike Pence uh, former President Donald Trump, uh, the current president and then Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, I, I don't think that they're analogous. Uh, do you, Congressman? There's there's some similarities, but but Biden had stuff from when he was a U.S. senator as well, and so right. that's one of the concerns to us: is how long has he been doing this, and and do we even know what? Uh, 
he had he had taken at this stage. Uh, so that that's one of the concerns. There are obviously concerns with uh, the family relationship that exists there, and I won't go too far into that on this podcast. And and uh, but we're going to look into all of that, Lou. It it is a uh, you know it's a situation where it's very clear to me that that in the security of the country, uh, the process of the executive branch is going to have to change. Yeah, I, and I and I think that you're to be applauded for your, for calling for that assessment. Uh, I don't know to what degree we could rely upon a uh, intelligence agency uh, response uh, because of the the involvement of the IC in almost every aspect of, uh, of this, what has been almost seven years of political persecution of Donald J. Trump. Uh, we still have not seen an accounting for the individuals. It, to me, it's astounding how loud and clearly it should be understood by the American people. Two special counsel investigations, two presidential impeachments, uh, approaching four years of FBI investigations, and not one instance of wrongdoing on the part of President Trump has been discovered, revealed, uh, or even noted. Uh, and meanwhile, we know that four consecutive leaders of the uh, the FBI, uh, and officials throughout the Department of Justice, have been found to be corrupt, uh, and to have indeed been part of a an attempted frame up uh, of a president of the United States, as well as an attempt to overthrow him. It's that straightforward. And for us to proceed as if uh, suddenly the intelligence community is not a corrupt enterprise. I think is is woefully uh, ignoring the circumstances that we know to be true and factual. Yeah, well, well Lou, let me tell you the, the one thing that I hope uh, you see going forward. I hope that when you see the House Intelligence Committee meeting uh, on these issues, that I hope you do not see us discussing these issues. And if you want to go back to what you just said, for the last several years, uh, with Adam Schiff in control, they they had the Russia uh, so-called classified investigation that ended up, you know, being a hoax and, and aptly named the Russian hoax. And then he would literally walk out of the skiff, uh, where, where you're not supposed to talk about anything and the press and the cameras would be set up right there for Adam Schiff to walk out and speak in abstract as if, uh, president Trump was doing something and coordinating with the Russians. And I think that anybody who, who looks at what the Russians have done since president Trump left and what the Russians didn't do when president Trump was president, what the Russians did do right before President Trump got to be the president, that, that you you would have to have a little bit of, of Trump dementia syndrome to think that President Trump was coordinating anything with the Russians because under his presidency is the only time that Vladimir Putin didn't take aggression against the Ukraine. And so, so Lou, the, 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 the double standard that you see in the mainstream media is very obvious to me. Uh, you, you look at the FBI's double standard. They used a tactical squadron when they went to uh, Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago was a facility that was guarded by the Secret Service. There is literally no reason to carry a tactical squadron with you when you're going to visit a facility uh, that, that is guarded by the Secret Service. And then they turn around and they use uh, the FBI with men in suits to go to go in and look for the classified documents at the at the Biden residence. And, and, and look, I don't have a problem with the FBI with a with the proper documentation going in suits and looking for for documents. Uh, but when you use a tactical squadron to go after President Trump, and, and again, you use, uh, you know, the normal um, suits in the FBI, if you will, to go to go 
look at the Biden uh, residents. I mean, that's just that, that's a clear double standard in an agency that used to be one of the most respected agencies in the world. The reality is that we have a corrupt, uh, a corrupt intelligence community and a corrupt Department of Justice and FBI. And we have to contend with it. And we have so many issues right now uh, to contend with. I know that uh, that the Republicans in the House have uh, mounted these campaigns uh, to to get to the truth, whether it be the Committee on Weaponization, whether it be uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, the chair of the Judiciary Committee's investigations, or, or James Comer's uh, oversight committee. All of that is to the good, and we cannot... It, results cannot come too soon, I'll put it that way, because the American people are just sick and tired of watching what has happened to the nation's capital uh, and the federal government. I, I want to turn to another part of the, the situation that we, we're facing. Uh, over $100 billion now uh, has been uh, directed toward and on its way to Ukraine. Uh, we, we at the same time know that there are extraordinary relationships between this president and uh, his son and Ukraine. And one after another uh, are, are coming up uh, almost weekly. Your thoughts as a member of the Armed Services Committee, we have, we have over 100,000 troops on the eastern flank of Europe. We have an increasing commitment of weaponry going to Ukraine. And we know that we've crossed red line after red line on the part of Vladimir Putin. He's been straightforward. Aircraft, no-fly zones, and advanced long-range weapons will be, he considers, he will consider it an act of war. How troubled are you by what is happening? And secondly, what is it doing to readiness for the U.S. military to be watching all of this weaponry moving out of inventory and our troops being posted in Europe when the Europeans themselves and NATO are perfectly capable of carrying out that, uh, carrying out the duties of that positioning in your Eastern Europe. Yes. So, so first of all, Lou, I want to give um, a tremendous amount of credit to the intelligence community on this particular issue, because our intelligence community actually, you know, pegged the actual date that they thought uh, Vladimir Putin would move on Ukraine. And, let, and let's go back to what we said just a little bit of a while ago, that uh, you know, Putin took took aggressive action against Ukraine when uh, President Obama was president, and we sent them blankets, and we did not send them any assistance uh, from the standpoint of things that they could use to actually defend themselves. And then uh, President Trump was in office, and nothing was done. And now that Biden is office, uh, you know, obviously Vladimir Putin sees a, a weak presidency, and so he moved he moved again on the Ukraine. Uh, I do think that the one thing that was done is the declassification, I think, of the intelligence so that the world could see what we were expecting to come from uh, Vladimir Putin was, was, was a good move from the intelligence community. Uh, what's troubling about the in, intel that we had is that the president of the United States went on TV, uh, President Biden, and said, well, it will depend on if it's a big incursion or a small incursion into what the, as to what the United States response would have been. Uh, Vladimir Putin is across the border in Moldova. Uh, the ambassador of Moldova was in my office yesterday expressing serious concerns about Russia's aggression there. Uh, they are across the border in Georgia. I personally believe that the that the Russian 
um, goal was to control transit through the Black Sea. I, I thought for a long time they would go for the port of Odessa. I think they intended to divvy up the ports among their oligarchs. And then every bushel of grain that was shipped out of the Ukraine, an oligarch would get a tax on it. And then Vladimir Putin would end up with some of that money. Uh, let's remember Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Uh, they produce about 50 million metric tons of corn and wheat for the export markets a year. Uh, they are a very significant contributor to uh, our global food supply. And that food supply is now uh, having a hard time making it into, in, into the markets, Lou. Right. So, so I'm, I'm very concerned about the overall situation with Ukraine. I do believe that we did right in providing the weapons to Ukraine so that they could defend themselves. And I do believe that uh, there has been better coordination of, from NATO now than there was at, at the start of it. Now, now, Lou, one of the things that doesn't get talked about is, is the reason our NATO allies were reluctant to trust us is because we abandoned them in Afghanistan. And so we, in Afghanistan, that was always a mission that was by, with, and through uh, partner forces, uh, many of which were, were NATO partners, others of which were not necessarily NATO partners. But when the president of the United States decided uh, to, to walk out of Afghanistan, that was a unilateral decision made by the president of the United States that was in direct contrast to what our military commanders were, were advising him. And I think that as time goes on, you'll see that, uh, you know, General um, Austin Miller, I think you'll see uh, General McKenzie, uh, when their testimonies are talked about in the future, I think you're going to see that the president ignored the advice of his military leaders uh, with regard to Afghanistan. Now, that led to the reluctance of our NATO partners to trust us with regard to the intel that we were providing in Ukraine. And so it, it is actions have consequences. And, and Lou, had, had we been honest with our partners in Afghanistan, had our president followed the advice of our military leaders in Afghanistan, uh, then I think that our NATO partners would have been uh, more closely aligned with us at the start with Ukraine. That's, you know, that's an optimistic view, and I commend you for it. I, I, I And I do want to get to a host of issues, uh, including uh, where we are with the debt ceiling, sure. uh, your judgments on uh, what is going on and the so-called, well, the non-negotiations that are going on uh, between Capitol Hill and the, and the White House. Uh, but in that respect, we also knew, speaking of our intelligence agencies, we knew in the fall uh, that we would be witnessing a conflict if if Putin were not in some way impeded in his desire. We knew that clearly. The intelligence agencies of Ukraine were telling us that. Our, our partners in NATO were telling us that. And our own intelligence agencies were telling us that. We moved to February 24th. There had been three months past when the president of the United States could have stepped forward based on his own intelligence agencies uh, and that of our strategic partners in Europe, uh, as well as the Ukrainians themselves, and stopped Putin cold. We did not. And that is on him as well. And I just think that Absolutely. can't get too much emphasis. Well, he, he made the statement on TV that uh, it depends on if Vladimir Putin has a big incursion into Ukraine or a small incursion into the Ukraine. And, and, and I can assure you, Vladimir Putin heard uh, Joe Biden when he said that. And so, uh, I, I mean, we should never allow any incursion into another country. 
and and that's the president of the United States should not stand up and say that okay well if you if you if you break in and you only take a small piece of land that'll be okay but if you take a big piece of land we're going to respond a ridiculous uh, and irresponsible reckless comment on the part uh, of uh, President Biden right now uh, and and I, I want to move on but this last question this is now we're finding these bioweapon laboratories in Ukraine President Zelensky ordering the destruction of all records uh, on this one firm uh, associated with Hunter Biden, as you well know, uh, Meta uh, uh, Biotica. Uh, Your thoughts about uh, that, the importance of it, whatever claims the Russians are making apparently are being borne out. I just believe in the truth, Lou Dobbs. I I think our democracy is contingent upon the American citizens knowing the truth and the destruction of documents is contrary to uh, to the truth being known, and so certainly opposed to the documents being told. I, I just, you know, the voting public needs to know the truth, and so when you're getting rid of evidence, that is contrary to to you know our our citizens knowing the facts. I will to that say amen, Congressman. Thanks so much for saying it. The public's right, the American public's right to know uh, is uh, right now under considerable threat. I want to turn to the debt ceiling, uh, the debt, uh, and and where we are in the call by uh, Speaker McCarthy for negotiations with the administration. Well, let me, you know, Lou, again, I mean, this is, is the situation that we are currently in is an intentional part of the Democratic agenda to create problems for Speaker McCarthy. Unfortunately, uh, Mitch McConnell went along with it candidly. And, and what I mean by that is this, Lou, uh, the president of the United States signed a, a piece of legislation. He signed the omnibus on December the 30th. If you're if you actually pull the daily treasury reports, we had we had effectively hit the national debt on, on December the 30th. We were at 99.9% of it. And so uh, they had the choice in the omnibus bill to include one sentence, Lou, one sentence in that 4,000 pages is all it would have taken to change the national debt limit. Uh, they chose not to do that. And so Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, McConnell combined have about 150,000 years of political experience. And now they want us to think that they didn't realize that that the country had for all effective purposes hit the national debt limit on December 30th when they passed the omnibus bill. Uh, so they had four choices. They could have done a continuing resolution uh, without a debt limit, or they could have done a continuing resolution with the debt limit. Neither one of them would have led to uh, this current debt crisis, as it's being called by the administration and Chuck Schumer, mm-hmm. uh, they could have put the language in the omnibus bill. Again, like one sentence that simply said the national um, or the statutory debt limit of the United States of America is is thirty two trillion dollars instead of thirty one point three eight one trillion dollars. We wouldn't be in the current situation. One sentence in four thousand pages they could have put. Um, and the other option was what they they chose, which was the omnibus without the debt limit. So so by omitting that sentence, they 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 created the current situation. And now they're out there pointing the finger at Speaker McCarthy and saying, well, it's Kevin McCarthy's fault. Uh, well, Biden, Schumer, Pelosi and McConnell wrote the omnibus bill. They made a conscious decision not to include the debt limit that it took to fund the omnibus bill in that piece of legislation. 
And now they're sitting back and laughing and pointing the finger at Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans and, and saying, this is your fault. It's it's not our fault. I mean, they, they did this intentionally. Mitch McConnell went along with it. It's, it's part of the Democratic Party's political agenda to create as many problems as they can for, for Speaker sure. McCarthy without regard for what it does to the country. So, so we'll work through this, but the national debt now is, is going to be somewhere close to 30 tr $32 trillion after the omnibus bill is funded. I would remind you, Lou, in 19, it was about $10 trillion less. Uh, when I got here in 2011, I think it was somewhere around 11 or $12 trillion. So, it, you know, you can't keep running $2 trillion deficits and think that the United States dollar is going to continue to be the world currency. And for most Americans who get up and go to work, you know, 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, uh, if the United States dollar is no longer the world currency, if you think inflation's bad and has been bad for you in the last several years, I can assure you the loss of, of that currency status is, is, is going to be a life-altering event for every American. It well could be. And I hope that every Republican will, when talking about the debt, the deficits, the, the massive spending programs of this uh, regime, uh, will keep saying, remind people whose mess this is. And that is Joe Biden. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. It is their mess. The unfortunate thing is that Mitch McConnell, in the most random of ways, uh, but I'm sure well calculated by him, decided to facilitate that omnibus $1.7 trillion. And with that, he undercut the Republican Party viciously uh, and knowingly, in my opinion. Your reaction? I think you're absolutely right. And, and Mitch McConnell uh, had the opportunity to insist that uh, the debt limit language be included in the omnibus bill. And he allowed them to do it without the debt limit language in the omnibus bill. And so, so again, that's a conscious decision by someone who knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, one sentence in the debt limit and in, in, in that omnibus bill about the debt limit. And we're not having the discussion that we're having right now, Lou, we're having the discussion about you know, the next budget cycle and how we work to find uh, efficiencies in that budget cycle, but also, Lou, how we promote economic growth in, in, in our budget resolutions. And so one of the things that concerns me as someone who came from the business community is, is the current tax rates, which have led to the highest mm -hmm. tax collections in the history of the country. We revert back to the old tax rates in, in 2025. And so if you look at what those 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 previous 2025 tax rates generated in tax revenue, it's significantly less than what the current tax code does. And you know as well as I do, a low tax rate uh, levied on, on good economic growth and good economic activity is going to lead to, to, to more revenue for the government. And, and that is the only way out of this current situation with the debt and the deficit is to grow our way out of it. Absolutely. No one has been able to to improve on uh, what is mathematics, uh, and uh, the math doesn't lie. Uh, we've known that, and I've seen this uh, over the course of my career, uh, unfortunately, where the Republicans try to contend with all of the issues uh, and the responsibility and the prudence necessary to run uh, a rational fiscal policy, but the, the worst possible starting point is the debate over the debt ceiling itself. It is, uh, it is the, 
it is not the condition preceding to all that needs to be done to control spending. And the Republicans haven't won that battle once. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to just say to you that, you know, we really appreciate you being with us. I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope you'll come back soon. We always give our guests the last word, Congressman. So if I may, your concluding thoughts here today. Lou, I, I think our democracy is contingent upon the public knowing the truth. I think if you look at what's happening, if you look at the double standard with the way uh, the press, the mainstream media has reported the Biden documents versus the Trump documents, the way the FBI handled the the situation at Mar-a-Lago versus the way the FBI has handled the situation with President Trump. I think if you look at those those um, those differences, that that is very telling of, of one of my great concerns about our democracy as we push forward is that without the public knowing the truth, I don't see how the democracy survives. Congressman, you and I, uh, I think, have been in agreement on every single issue here today. I really appreciate you being with us. I, I applaud your, uh, your, your thoughts there and wish you Godspeed as you uh, continue to serve this country with, uh, with great distinction. Thanks, Congressman Austin Scott. And now we're taking up that Chinese balloon that was shot down off the coast of South Carolina after a week-long traverse of the country. Why did Biden allow it to cross the United States? It could have been shot down anywhere. It could have been shot down over the Aleutian Islands. What will we find in the wreckage and debris? We asked former intelligence analyst and operations officer for the Naval Security Group and the NSA to join us here today. Russ Tice had a nearly 20-year career with various agencies, working missions from the Kosovo War, the USS Cole attack in Yemen, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Afghanistan. And he was a whistleblower, speaking publicly after he discovered the NSA was spying on American organizations and groups. Russ Tice, thanks for being with us here on The Great America Show. What were your thoughts as you watched the news accounts this past week of the China surveillance balloon as it crossed the country? Well, my thoughts were basically, I'm certainly hoping that we're... Um taking advantage of the technical collection that we could be, uh, you know, uh, garnering from from this thing before we either have to bring it down uh, gently or abruptly, which I do believe abruptly was the choice made. I agree with you. Uh, and, and when you talk about garnering and gathering intelligence, that was obviously a surveillance and intelligence gathering satellite uh, array below that uh, that uh, balloon, uh, they, there were implications, and a lot of it was CYA stuff that you would expect from the from the federal government, from the de- Defense Department. But saying that you know we've been in control of this, and no, they weren't. We made sure they weren't picking up sensitive uh, intelligence from the arrays on that balloon as they passed over some an estimated 450 missile silos and. Uh, and, uh, you know, air bases uh, along the way. Your thoughts about how how good are we? Were we, in fact, jamming their surveillance, or did they, in your judgment, collect surveillance that would be of value to Beijing? Uh, well, quite often, jamming a signal is, is not going to give you a whole lot of information about the signals that are being used. It would be more advantageous to, to let them try to collect as best they can for us to determine what the general route would be and tell our, our missile silo sites to shut off their telemetry and their any RF 
uh, communications they may have when this thing is within line of sight. And then for us to uh, to take advantage of what the the uh, balloon is doing as far as its its uh, its mechanisms uh, to to collect on us. So basically, we collect on how they're trying to collect uh, for the the intelligence that we can get. I can go into some detail if you want on some of the things that would be interesting. Well, I I would love to, and I think the audience would love to hear that detail. Uh, so long as it, if you make allowances for my uh, my comprehension level on when it comes to technology, well, most of them are understandable. Like for instance, uh, what what is the power source for this thing? Is it solar? Do they does it have batteries? Uh, is liquid fuel in station on on the airship? Um, how does it maneuver? Does it have propellers? Does it have jet thrusters? Um, uh, what does it use? Is it using the uh, hydrogen? Is it using helium? More than likely, I would hope it's using uh, helium. Um, how is it controlled? Uh, is it controlled by preset programming? Is it controlled by direct commanding or or a combination of both? Um, what types of what types of arrays, a or collection arrays, are on this thing? Is it a, a MASIN, what we call measurement and instrument uh, or a, a signature collection? Uh, things like uh, chemical, nuclear, biological. Uh, is it electro optical? Electro optical basically means cameras. Uh, signals collection. Now, if I had to bet, I bet they have a whole lot of signal collection on this thing. Um, and if they do, we would want to know what kind of frequencies this thing is looking for. If the frequencies this thing is looking for are matching up with the signals we normally use for our missile fields, then we know that they already know there are their general frequencies that we use and they they're trying to collect uh, on frequencies that they already know exist and that's not a good thing um what was targeted um were the missile fields targeted we can probably say probably yes what else was targeted um if we can get into the internals of this thing we might be able to figure that out as well um the antennas they were on what are, what is the capability of those antennas what are what are the the, the antenna arrays capabilities as far as the the uh, the view angles and uh, the line of sight capabilities of the antennas um basically things like oh what what sort of storage capability was on that platform uh and and how did they get the how do they dump the uh, the information that they're getting off is it is it a time storage where they keep a certain amount of information and then they dump it every half an hour or something like that um is it a, a, a real-time uh, transfer of uh, communications uh, intelligence from this thing? And I'm assuming they would be using a satellite for that. Um, things like um, if they're if they're using uh, signals uh, to get the information back to Mother China, um, are are they using special types of signals, basically, or, or or signals that are hard to for us to pick up on, or what we call low probability of intercepts? Uh, things like uh, burst transmissions, frequency hopping transmissions, spread spread signal systems transmissions, uh, low frequency signal transmissions. Um, those are the sort of things uh, that that are basically when someone's trying to hide a signal that they're trying to send, that they they use these these hiding techniques so that it's hard to collect on them. Um, uh, you know, another question is: Are they using uh, GPS systems? To to maneuver this as best they can to maneuver this uh, this balloon, um, and and what satellites are being used? What what transfer satellites are being used? Um, are are military Chinese military satellites being used? We could probably bet the answer for that is yes. 
What about commercial satellites? Are they using uh, commercial satellite capabilities? Uh, NAVSAT, are they using our GPS? NAVSAT are, are the, the, the SATs that we use for our, our US GPS systems. That every time you, you pull that up on your on your phone and you're going, some, going to grandmom's house and you forgot where grandmom lives, uh, hopefully you didn't do that, but but uh, you know that's that's our GPS system uh, or the GLONASS system. Some of our systems use GLONASS, which is the Russian Russian system, uh, the, the Galileo system, which is the, the the European system, which I don't think is complete yet, or the Chinese completed like a couple years ago their own uh, their own uh, geolocating system. Uh, I think it's called the Beidou three system. Uh, I, I certainly they'd be using that as well. But it'd be interesting to know if they're using ours and others too to hone in on things um so i'm sorry go ahead yeah yeah i russ i mean that's fascinating and it raises just those questions raise another and that is how much sophisticated technology could be aboard that balloon uh you've seen the pictures as we all have and uh, news sites of the of the bottom of that balloon with those arrays uh, i i know they're arrays i'm just not sure what they are uh, designed to either transmit or to uh, pick up uh, it looks like there would be a lot of communication between uh, let's assume beijing uh it could be any other city in china obviously or perhaps not even china perhaps on one of the pieces of real estate that the Chinese have bought in this country over the last few years. Uh, but what do you, did you have a sense of just how sophisticated uh, the technology was by just looking at the, the base of that uh, payload on the, on the balloon? Well, I like most, I could be, I, I only saw the pictures of it that they showed on television. So I didn't, I didn't get some kind of, but they're saying it's the, it's the length, this array is basically the length of three, you know, um, city buses. That's that's a lot of space to put things on. Um, so certainly, they could have you know all those different collection systems. They could literally have all of those on this thing, um, and then some. Uh, some we're not even talking about, but uh, but there's all kinds of technology to be garnered from this thing. And 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 then you know are they are they using signals with encryption? Are they using uh, a coded coding with encryption? And uh, their telemetry is that being encrypted? Um, if we can collect that. And it's something we've already broken at the agency, or I should say at NSA, then then we can pin it down even better as to what kind of technology they're using uh, to control this thing. Um, what kind of transmitters, receivers, uh, sensors are on this thing? Um, it, it's just uh, this thing is could be a uh, basically a, a, a technical um, a bonanza of intelligence. What would be the difference in the the capability to to uh, to surveil uh, an area like missile silos or a base of silos, uh, satellite versus this array? In your judgment, well, for instance, uh, if you're talking about uh, electro optical, basically cameras, uh, it's it's like the same thing. If you have your you know your your cam, you put the best camera you can, put it in space. And then take that best camera and and put it, you know, uh, seventy thousand feet above the Earth. Well, that's a big difference. So, in other words, the fidelity is going to be better. Instead of instead of, you know, down to basically like two feet uh, or better from from a satellite, you're now getting to two inches or better from for the fidelity from a camera that's you know that's very close to the to Earth. So. 
instead of looking at the, the, the top of a, a missile silo and the, the lid, we're now looking at the hinges and what kind of bolts are being used to keep that thing on the, you know, the, the blast bolts from, you know, what type are being used in that missile silo. So the, yes, the fidelity makes a difference when you can get that camera closer. If, if the Chinese don't have uh, a viable uh, overhead uh, signals capability, uh, for looking down to, to the, the center of the Central America, I mean, the North America, then this thing would would be their only option for doing signals intelligence uh, uh, for for something like our missile silos. Let's draw on your intelligence analyst background a bit. Uh, why would they want a satellite to go over Latin America? I mean, uh, I don't know too many missile silos in Argentina, but... How would you characterize this as a national security threat? I, I would say this is a low low uh, threat to national security because we knew the general track this thing was going to take, you know, uh, what jet stream it's going to take. So we can basically shut down the comms uh, that it's going to collect, and you can you can take measures to to um, to mitigate any electro optical camera stuff you put in camouflage and that sort of thing. So um, in it's it's you gotta wonder um is this thing's just sort of a slap in the face it, you know in other words we can do this and we're going to do this and and it's an affront um it, it's hard to gauge you know because i you know once we know what this thing is i even thought maybe this whole thing is a canard maybe maybe this thing is literally just a a a, a juiced up weather satellite that they're sending it over to, to see what our reaction would be to doing something like this. Wouldn't that be interesting that this thing it isn't the, this super high tech, you know, the surveillance thing that I'm talking about. But the time will tell when hopefully the Navy pulls all those pieces out of the ocean there off the Carolina coast. But it's um, it's it's hard to tell because it's pretty overt the way they're doing this is this is in your face. Exactly. Uh, and uh, in our face also was a, a conflict in the, the discussion leading up to what was ultimately the missile shoot down of the uh, umbrella. Initially, 20 millimeter was being reported as the gun that they preferred to use so that there could be a slow descent from the balloon. Uh, it could be managed, if not controlled, uh, and would probably result in less debris, whether it landed on uh, the ground or in, in uh, the ocean. To fire a Sidewinder missile and blow the thing out of the sky uh, means there's going to be a jarring uh, landing. I think most people know that uh, whether you're using a parachute or whether whatever it may be, landing in uh, on water is about the same thing as landing on concrete uh, in terms of impact force. Uh, your thoughts about that? I would have thought that, um, that the way to bring this thing down was to wait till it goes over missile fields and then put those cannons into it and punch some holes in it so that this thing gradually starts to lose its its gas it starts to come down do it on a day when you don't it's not very windy and this thing lands in a in a a, a kansas wheat field or a nebraska cornfield um and then we as and we have our our military you know following along and as soon as this thing lands we we jump on it and packages on package it up and send it to right pat to the foreign technology division where we exploit that thing by the way that's one of the places i was stationed when i was in the air force uh so i'm familiar with what they do at right pat um so it it's almost like you know we decided uh i guess they wanted to make a big grand show of it um 
and, and I guess they had to, to blow it up right after it got over the coast, because if you put holes in it, by the time it drifts, you know, 25 to 30 miles out to sea, then, then you're no longer in, in, uh, in domestic uh, waters. You're now in um, international waters and it can right. be, it could be, uh, you can have the Chinese out there getting the pieces of their own saddle. I mean, their own balloon. Well, it did surprise me. I have to say, it did not surprise me that they shot it down over the coast because they wanted to maintain the the shallow waters of the of the, the continental shelf there. But it it does surprise me that they didn't have salvage uh, ships and crews organized around where they thought it was going to land, uh, and it, it just seemed a, a little bit, uh, I, I don't know, sloppy. Uh, on the part of the military, not to have it more organized with that many days uh, to execute a plan. Your thoughts? It doesn't look like the folks that were involved in this were the most erudite uh, lot of thinkers. Um, uh, yeah, you would think if they if they know if they know in advance they're going to you know going to you know blast it just after it goes over the coast that they're going to have some ships out there that the navy. Uh, 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 teams that uh, do the diving and the recovery uh, would be very, already on site. So it's this whole thing sounds like a, how would you say in the military? We saw it, we call it a cluster fandango. If anyone in the military knows what the what Charlie Foxtrot uh, means, and uh, and right. that sounds what this is, you know, how they ran this thing, how how it is. Yeah, it, it seemed that way even to uh, us, us civilians. And what's your sense? There's now an argument about this happened three times in the Trump administration, uh, this being loosely uh, a balloon going across some part of uh, U.S. territory, whether it's uh, Guam or wherever it might have been. Uh, there were no specifics, uh, at least uh, in the briefing to Congress and the Senate over the weekend. Uh, the, the, the specificity, at least as they report, uh, repeated the report, uh, didn't include dates. Uh, do you think this has been going on for quite some time? Would that Absolutely be your judgment? Not. Absolutely not. Come on, something like this is going to be spotted by someone, uh, and and they certainly, if it happened during the Trump administration, they they'd, uh, I mean, they, they they'd collar uh, President Trump as a coward for letting it even get near our coast. So, um, no, I don't think this happened. And in, in, in knowing Mr. Trump, the, you know, I don't know him personally, but. But I bet if this happened to him, it, uh, he'd have had that thing shot down before it even got close to uh, U.S. territory. And to that point, uh, we know now that uh, because of the cover your the CYA approach of the Biden administration saying, well, it happened to the Trump administration. Then they had to explain why they didn't tell the director of national intelligence. They didn't tell the National Security Council or the president of the United States, the commander in chief about those incursions uh, or what, however you want to style them. That is a serious breach of uh, constitutional uh, reporting and authority uh, on the part of the military. And my guess is there's going to be hell to pay. Uh, and this is just the beginning salvo. Uh, your thoughts? Well, if if that were true, uh, you know, then then they'd be lying about all of that. So, to to discredit our, our former president. So, um, not that they have a problem with lying about things like this. I mean, my goodness, they they accused uh, practically our pre president of being a Russian agent for, for Mr. Putin. So, and, and they've gotten away with it. 
despite everyone knowing that it was a conspiracy to overthrow a president and there has been no accountability uh, for anyone in the Justice Department, the intelligence community, the FBI. Uh, It's outrageous, but the outrages continue and in some ways worsen. You know, I have some of my liberal friends that that only watch certain liberal uh, news outlets and they still believe all that Russian nonsense. The, the, it's still oh well that that happened i'm like no it didn't it's you know look at the Mueller report well no it didn't that happened it's it's there's dead set on believing what they've been fed um it's it's just like pravda um you know of years gone by that you know you, you just kind of shake your head and and mainstream press is going is going to going to push these these idiotic lines of uh you know for the, for the people that that aren't going to take the time to uh, to do a little research and find out what the truth might be. Especially with the complicit uh, news media uh, at work on behalf of their corporate masters. Uh, I, I just want to say, Russ, we always give the last word to our guests. I really appreciate you being with us today uh, to take up these important issues. Uh, if, if you will, your concluding thoughts today as we wrap up here. Well, concluding thoughts on the balloon would be um, we have to think smarter about how we uh, deal with situations like this and and need to have uh, a pre-planning to uh, to determine you know what what will we do in a situation where you know this could happen are we are we going to collect some some intelligence on it are we going to put it down in a in a you know a cornfield or you know are we going to let it go across the country all the time um, it's um i've i've seen the intelligence field um not, become not so intelligent in the past 20 years um and I, you have to wonder you know if you're no longer you know, the, your job as an intelligence analyst or intelligence officer is to is to tell the executive the truth about what's going on and it's up to the executive if you become an arm a political arm and and a shill to any political party or to a deep state or to or to some ideology, you are no longer a viable intelligence agency or, or um, uh, useful to the national security of this country. Yeah, and I think we've seen the examples of that uh, in the efforts to overthrow President Trump and the uh, the revelations that followed. Uh, it's it's remarkable the the, the power of the so-called interagency and how it has subsumed so much constitutional authority uh, from various departments uh, and uh, and really altered the balance of uh, powers in, in our in our government. Russ Tice, thanks for being with us. I appreciate your time and look forward to talking with you further about this China surveillance balloon, the fallout and repercussions from all of this. Here tomorrow, we'll continue to follow up on the China balloon recovery efforts and the political fallout Joining us tomorrow will be Judicial Watch's Chris Farrell on balloon politics and General Milley's role in all of this, the Biden scandals, and of course, George Soros. Check out the Soros Files on judicialwatch.org. That's the Soros Files on judicialwatch.org. Also joining us tomorrow will be Cash Patel on Government Gangsters, the title of his new book. A catchy title, don't you think? And absolutely apt these days. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Our guest tomorrow, Chris Farrell, 
and Cash Patel. Till then, thanks and God bless you and God bless America.